They were saying we, it's been a month since we've been up here, so no wonder I feel a little out of place. But uh, we're in 2 Samuel chapter 4. Uh, Alex finished chapter 3 off uh, a month ago. <laughs> But uh, he did very well. I want to thank him for that. But Psalms 37, David Penn. And David, he gave good advice, as he often did. And he, not only did he give good advice, but he practiced what he preached. And in Psalms 37, the psalm urges us, no matter what difficulty we might be in, no matter what we are experiencing, no matter what what might be going on in our lives. David said, wait on the Lord. And what that means is we should patiently permit the Lord to provide for us. He gives us godly solutions to any need we may have. Uh, Verse 7 says of Psalms 37, commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Rest in the Lord. No need to be anxious for anything and wait patiently for him. Then verse 7 tells us, do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. And David needed that counsel in the period between Abner's death and his coronation as king over all of Israel. He knew what should happen, David did, but he just didn't know the means on how he was going to unite these two kingdoms together. Remember Abner in chapter 3, he had brokered a peace agreement with David. He had come to David and said, hey, look, he had, been, he had gotten upset with uh, Ishibosheth and says, I'm, I've come to unite the kingdom. And they had made peace there. But on the way out, Abner was going. Joab found him and cowardly killed him and put him to death. So now there's strife happening again. And Ishbosheth, which was uh, uh, Saul's son, he was nothing but an empty suit. Uh, uh, Abner was the power broker behind the throne. So at this point in time, they don't know what to do. David is grieving for Abner. He did a public display of his grieving, letting the whole kingdom understand and know that he had nothing to do with this. And so now that northern kingdom is in strife, and they don't know what to do. And the best thing to do when you don't know what to do is wait on the Lord, pray, and seek his face, and he'll tell you what to do. So first one tells us this. When Saul's son heard that Abner had died in Hebron, he lost heart. It means his hands dropped. He didn't know what to do. And all Israel was troubled. So not only Ishbosheth was upset and didn't know what to do, Israel didn't know what to do. And it says, now Saul's son had two men who were captains of troops. The name of one was Bana. Bana means in affliction. And the name of the other was Rechab. His name means rider. The sons of Remen, the Barathite, of the children of Benjamin. For Baroth also was part of Benjamin. We saw last Sunday that Benjamin was in the territory of the Canaanites. And, and the Hivites 
was also there who had uh, tricked Israel and Joshua to make a covenant with them. So these are part of the Hivites here. Because the Barathites fled to Gittim and have been sojourners there until this day. Jonathan Saul's son had a son who was lame in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel there on Mount Gilboa. Jonathan dies there with his, with his dad, and his nurse took him up and fled. And it happened as she made haste to flee that he fell and became lame. His name was Mephibosheth. Now, the Holy Spirit, I'm asking, why would he bring up Mephibosheth in this scene when they are really speaking of Ishbosheth? And I think the reason is Ishbosheth knew that the kingdom belonged to David. And that's why he's going to die the death that he does because he's in rebellion, not against David, but against God. And what happens now, since Ishbosheth is about to get taken care of, the Holy Spirit lets us know also. What happened to Mephibosheth? So what's that saying? God is removing everyone from the house of Saul, moving them out of the way so David can rule as he should on his throne. God is doing that, giving, giving opportunity for David to have no problems when he ascends to the throne. Once again, Psalms 37 verse 34 tells us, wait on the Lord and keep his way. We're in the second, second, uh, fifth chapter, fourth chapter of Second Samuel, you guys. David had written, and he will exalt you to inherit the land when the wicked are cut off. You shall see it. And this is exactly what David did through his faith in the Lord. His examples urges us once again that we should wait on the Lord and allow him to meet our needs, to allow him to defend us, all of our interests, And while we are waiting, refusing to sin, and submitting to God's will as we wait. That's what David is doing right here. Whether it's a strained relationship with someone, whether it's a job that you really don't like, and and the ones that is over you gives you a hard time, David is saying, continue to serve and continue to serve cheerfully because God will take care of things. He's, things. He sees everything. He sees when we are falsely accused, when we are mistreated, and all of those other things which other people may not see. It doesn't matter. God sees it. And as we faithfully submit to his will, everything is going to be okay here. And that's what, he, what he's saying. So verse 5 says, Then the sons of Remen the Barathite, Rechab and Banna set out and came and came at about the heat of the day to the house of Ishbosheth. Notice what it says, who was lying on his bed at noon. And they came there all the way into the house as though to get wheat, and they stabbed him in the stomach. Then Rechab and Banna, his brother, escaped. For when they came into the house, he was lying on his bed in his bedroom. The Holy Spirit emphasizes that. That's why he says it twice. Then they struck him and killed him and beheaded him and took his head and were all night escaping 
through the plain. The assault was not only efficient, it was cruel because they had no right to do this. Ishbosheth, we're going to see he's going to receive his judgment, but it was at the hand of men who wasn't supposed to do this. God's revealed will was Ishbosheth, you should have stepped down. He does not do this. And so these men take it upon themselves to do God's will as they think, but we're going to find out they weren't doing God's will. Verse 8 tells us, and they brought the head of Ishbosheth to David at Hebron. I don't know about these two guys because these two guys, Israel, you would think everyone would have known what David had did to the Amalekite when he came and had taken off uh, Saul's crown and his bracelet and his armlet and all these things, and he runs to, to David and says, look, I slew Saul. I finished him off, and we know what David did. Well, undoubtedly, these two guys didn't get the word, the memo on this, because they're doing the same thing, hoping to gain a reward. Psalms 51, the latter part of Psalms 51, 20 says this, and what the Holy Spirit does, I think, from verse 7 of, of Psalms 50 to about verse 15, the Holy Spirit puts in check the hypocrite of the, or those who's unbelievers, but yet they still boast in the Lord. So it just says here, you thought that I was altogether like you. That's what God says, but I will rebuke you. So it says, and they brought the head of Ishbosheth. To David at Hebron. That's about a 15-mile journey. Can you imagine a head in a bag, or they might just be you know, holding it by the hair, riding. <laughs> Either way, it's not good. And said to the king, here is the head of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul. Notice what they say, your enemy who sought your life. And the Lord has avenged my Lord, the king this day of Saul and his descendants. We talked about this Sunday, more of this God speak. They're speaking on his behalf. They're acting like they know the Lord. They say, here's the head of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, your enemy, who sought your life. And David quickly lets them know, it wasn't you clowns that protected me. It's the Lord that has been protecting me and will always protect me. These guys, they were disloyal. They were disloyal to Ishbosheth. And once again, we're going to find out they were self-seeking, and they wanted just a reward for themselves. And so they, they, what they do, they fiend piety. They have this God speak as if they had had a message from the Lord to kill Ishbosheth. That's why it says, and the Lord, they say, and the Lord has avenged my Lord. And once again, we know it is truth that Ishbosheth had raised up and rebelled against the revealed will of the Lord. We're going to find out that not only Ishbosheth knew it, Abner knew it, and the whole nine tribes of Israel understood that the kingdom truly belonged to David. So once again, they, they were not only fighting against David, they were fighting against the greater David, which was Jesus Christ himself, and so they shouldn't have uh, committed this atrocity. It says in Romans chapter 13, verses 3 through 4, for rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. 
Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. So these two knuckleheads, they're not rulers. They're a bunch of vigilantes. They're a bunch of criminals. And once again, they are doing this to gain a reward. And David sees through their scheme. It says in verse 9, but David answered Rechab and Banna, his brother, the sons of Remon, the Barathite, and said to them, as the Lord lives. So David holds a royal convening trial right now. As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from all adversity. Once again, he's saying, you guys haven't did anything. God is the one who protects me. He protected him from the lion and the bear. He protected him from Goliath. He protected him when Saul was after him for 15 years. He protected David even when his own men wanted to stone him. And he's protecting him now also. God is not only a saving God, and I'm thankful for that, but he's also a keeping God. He will keep us, and he's faithful to do that. So David renders his judgment here by the punishment of the word of God. He won't do anything more. He won't do anything less than what the word of God says. He doesn't go by his own opinion what he should do, but he takes it to the word. Genesis 9, 6 tells us, whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God, he made man. I think it's First Chronicles somewhere that says, because justice is not swift, the unrighteous, paraphrasing, they do what they want to. And we see that blatantly in the world today. You commit a crime, you commit especially a heinous crime, and you go in one door in the same hour, you come out the next door. And that's why crime is so rampant, because there's no just punishment. And so these two have committed a crime. David holds court and judgment is pronounced. And he says, once again, as the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from all adversity. When someone told me, here it is, saying, look, Saul is dead, thinking to have brought good news. I arrested him and had him executed in Ziglag. The one who thought I would give him a reward for his news. How much more? When wicked men have killed a righteous person in his own house on his bed, therefore shall I not require his blood at your hand and remove you from the earth? He's calling Ishbosheth a righteous man, not that he was doing things that were right, but he was innocent that these two men shouldn't have come in and put him to death like this. He was sooner or later. If God wanted to, he could have just made him remove him from the throne. But it wasn't up to them. The Bible says, vengeance is mine, God is speaking. So David urges us once again to wait on the Lord and allow him to meet any and all needs that we may have. And he also will defend any of our interests and he will come to our aid in his own timing. Verse 12 tells us, 
So David commanded his young men and they executed them, cut off their hands and feet and hanged them by the pool in Hebron. But they took the head of Ishbosheth and buried it in the tomb of Abner in Hebron. David had been waiting and his waiting began as a youth when, when, when uh, I forget, Samuel unexpectedly came to his house as a little boy and anointed him with oil and said, David, you're going to be king over Israel. He waited. I'm sure he thought it would be soon. And then Saul would not abdicate the throne. And then he chased David once again for 15 years. David was thinking, when is this going to happen? And even when Saul was put to death, I'm sure David said, now I will be king. But it was seven more years because of Abner and Ishbosheth that he had to wait to unite the entire kingdom. And God is teaching us the lesson is we must wait. Things that we think should happen right away, God is saying, wait on my timing. Wait, I am God, and I will answer in my time. And we must understand that. And so it's a humbling experience to have to wait on the Lord. Man messes up when he says, hey, I'm tired of waiting. I'm going to do it my way. Ask Abraham with Hagar. Ask David with Bathsheba. Even in his sin, David said, if, uh, God said, if you would have asked me, I would have given you whatever you asked for. But he did not wait. So we must learn to wait on the Lord. Chapter 5. And what happens here, the elders, they're going to send some men out to David, and they're going to be seeking peace because they don't know what to do. Ishbosheth is dead. There's no other, uh, anymore Saul's son, except uh, Mephibosheth, and he can't have the throne. And so they, they're sending out men to see if they can broker peace once again with David. Verse 1 tells us, then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and spoke, saying, and they're going to give three reasons why they want David to be their king after they've exhausted everything else. (laughs) The first reason is relationally. It said, notice they say, indeed, we are your bone and your flesh. Well, he's always been their bone and their flesh, but it's convenient for them now. So they see this. They all uh, descended from Jacob. So they are brothers in, uh, in, in this patriarchy. And, and they should have known that earlier. They had a common bond together because they were Israelites. And then their second reason was experientially. It says in verse two, also in time past, when Saul was king over us, now they're about to badmouth Saul. He's gone, and they want David to be king. You were the one who led, us, led Israel out and brought them in. It was you, David, who fought our battles. Now they're singing a different tune. And then the third reason, which is the most blatant reason, is because God had told them David should be king. And the Lord said to you, so they know it, You shall shepherd my people Israel and be ruler over Israel. In pointing out God's anointing on David, what they're doing really is condemning themselves. They knew this all along that David should be king, but they allow Saul to have reign over them. And you know, we can be like that. 
God wants to rule and reign in our lives, on the throne of our hearts. And a lot of time we make all kinds of excuses why, okay, Lord, I want you to save me, but I'm not ready to give you my entire heart for you to lord over me until we've exhausted every other area, every other resources that will crumble sooner or later, and then we turn to the Lord. And you know what? Jesus is fine with that. All Jesus is saying, if you would have given me your, all of your heart from the beginning, I could have blessed you more while you waited to do those things. That's what Israel is doing here. They say, that, David, we know that you should have been king and we want you to be king. Therefore, all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord. And they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign. Now, I believe, this is my opinion, that 30 years of age is the perfect age. Man is at his peak in health, in physicality, all of those things, intellect at around 30 years of age. And I got a feeling in heaven when we get there, not going to be 21, not going to be 18. I think we're going to be around the age of 30 at our vitality, at our fullness of life. And that will be the age. David begins to reign at 30 years old. And he reigned 40 years in Hebron. He reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem, he reigned 33 years over all Israel and Judah. I want you to see that David doesn't kick back. He doesn't bask in his glory. He doesn't bask in the sunlight and said, hey, I've did all this. Let's kick back. I finally united the kingdom. Now, let's throw a party. Let's take a break. Let's enjoy what we've done. No, David had fought Goliath. The children of Israel, and we're studying this in the book of Joshua on Sunday, they go into the promised land, and they are supposed to destroy everyone in there and subdue every person in Canaan, destroy them. But there's one group of people, more than one, but we're speaking here of these Jebusites. They're part of the Amorites. And anytime you see the Canaanites, the Canaanites were by the sea and in the lowland, but the Amorites had their homes in the hills, in the mountains. And so they were hard to defeat. And the Jebusites are part of the Amorites, and they never could depose them of that territory. So David is not going to rest on his laurels. He's saying, there's something that's been a thorn in my side, a thorn in my eye, and it's these Jebusites. God is on my side. He give, he's given me power. He give, he's given us ability to defeat these strongholds. And we are going to defeat the Jebusites because they are a blight. Not only on the children of Israel's resume, but it puts a blemish on God's resume when we make excuses not to walk in the fullness of the Lord. 
He's given us everything for life and godliness. He not only saved us from our sins, but he's given us power to walk in godliness and holiness. And David understands that. And so David says, no, I'm not going to rest. I'm going to take care of this issue here. And that's what he begins to do. It says in verse 6, and the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land who spoke to David. The Jebusites, they are boasting that no one can defeat us. They're going to say, we can put the lame and the blind on the mount, and you guys still can't defeat us, saying, you shall not come in here, but the blind and the lame will repel you, thinking David cannot come in. Got any sin in your life that likes to mock you, mock us like that? I do pretty well in every area of my life since I've become a believer, but there's one stronghold that no matter, I might do good for a month, but then I revert. And I might do good for two months, and then I revert. And it's a stronghold, and it mocks you, and it takes your joy, and it tries to take your peace. And God is saying, no, it can be defeated. It might take extra prayer. It might, hum, it might take you humbling yourselves and telling a brother and sister in Christ that, hey, would you pray for me in this area and continue to seek the Lord? But Jesus Christ will give us the victory. And that's what this is happening here. We don't have to say, my dad had an anger problem and his dad had an anger problem. Therefore, I have an anger problem and I just, I have to live with it. That's just the way it is. God says, no, you can be free. And that's what David shows us here. Nevertheless, verse seven, David took the stronghold of Zion. And notice David took the stronghold of Zion. He did not take it by himself, showing us that we need to go to reliable men and women that we know that's going to pray for us and, and hold us up in front of the Lord and we'll have victory. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion. That is the city of David. Now, David said on that day, whoever climbs up by way of the water shaft and defeat the Jebusites, the lame and the blind who are hated by David's soul, he shall be chief and captain. Therefore, they say, the blind and the lame shall not come into the house. David Joab, someone knew that there was a water shaft outside the city. And when I say a water shaft, I like to picture it as a gutter or a sewer. And they climbed through that sewer and all of his men before the Jebusites knew what was going on and they defeated them. It wasn't a flare prayer and those work when your heart is sincere and you and and. and, and Sometimes, but sometimes strongholds, once again, Jesus is the one that says this kind comes out only by prayer and fasting. How serious are we in defeating strongholds? It's going to take more 
than a flare prayer. It's going to take more than one time getting on your knees and getting off and say, okay, Lord, it hasn't happened. That's what Joab does here. And of all the men that did this, I'm sure David said of his nephew, Lord, of all the people, why was it Joab? Because Joab is going to be a thorn in David's side all the way to his deathbed. First Chronicles chapter 11, latter part of verse 6 tells us, and Joab, the son of Zariah, went up first and became chief. Joab at this point of time, but really it speaks of David, had a holy zeal to, uh, to want the Lord to rule his life, to rule and sit once again on the throne of his heart, not half-heartedly, not three-quarters. David, at this point in time, wanted God to rule and reign in the center of his heart, and that's what happens here. And it really boils down to a lordship issue. Do we want Jesus to be Lord of our lives? Or do we just want to spend time when we want to spend time with him and do as we please? We will always have strongholds when we live like that. Verse 9 tells us, Then David dwelt in the stronghold. He rules it, he captures it, and then he dwells there. We was talking about Sunday when Joshua made the Hivites, the Gibeonites, wood carriers and water carriers. He allowed them to serve them. And that's what we should do with every stronghold in our lives. We should allow that stronghold to serve us. Then David dwelt in the stronghold and called it the city of David. And David built all around the Milo, which was a landfill and inward, it was like a retaining wall because on Mount Zion, they built it up so they could put the tabernacle there. There, The presence of God was there. So David went on, I like this, and became great. And the Lord God of hosts was with him. And now that the Lord God of hosts is with him, Notice how people begin to flock to him. Then Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David and cedar trees and carpenters and masons, and they built David a house. A powerful city-state was the city of Tyre here. And, And they make an alliance with David because they know David is about to prosper. He's already prospering here. And David is showing his heart towards God because David knows that it's not him that's doing this. David is walking in humility, and he knows that God is doing this. As long as we walk in humility, the Lord will bless his people. So David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel and that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake, why, of his people. David wasn't out flexing his royalty, flexing his muscles, saying, look at me, I did all of this. No, David knows the only reason he's sitting on the throne is because he has a heart for God's people, and God knows that. So God is blessing David. Anytime we are in leadership, whether it's pastors or elders, 
We should be chief servants. We should serve more than anyone. It's a privilege to serve the Lord. First Peter chapter 5, verse 2 and 3 tells us this. Shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion you're being made to, but willingly. But willingly. I tell all the, 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 the leaders here, when no one else serves, we should be serving willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. That's what we're called to do, being examples of the flock of God in season and out of season. So verse 13 tells us, we see a little chink, a wider chink, because we've seen it in chapter, I think in chapter three, but now we're seeing that chink begin to widen in David's armor. And David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem after he had come from Hebron. Also more sons and daughters were born to David. Now these are the names of those who were born to him in Jerusalem. Shammua, Shabab, Nathan, Solomon, Idhar, Elishua, Nepheg, Japhia, Elishama, Eliada, and Eliphat. Ooh, some names. I wouldn't have named my kids all of this. <laughs> Once again, in chapter 3, David had had six sons born to him already at Hebron. Now we see these 11 names, and kings did this to, 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 to broker leagues together. But the slippage comes also when he begins to speak of these concubines as pleasure. So he begins to do this. Second Samuel chapter 5, verse 13 says this, and David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem after he came from Hebron. Deuteronomy chapter 17, 17 tells us, so it was written, neither shall he, speaking of the king, multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he gr greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. So David, his mistake, shows us that even when you have success and God grants you success, because God has granted him this success, we must be very vigilant to mind our heart and where it's at and keep it on the Lord. Because we know what's going to happen with Bathsheba down the road. So God, as he will, give you warning sign after warning sign, and we can't overrun those. Now, when the Philistines, now we haven't heard about the Philistines since chapter two, chapter one up on Mount Gilboa with, with Saul and his sons when they were defeated. It's almost like God puts the Philistines in a stupor or in a trance or 
he just blinds them for a minute. And why would he do that? Because he knows David is in a civil war with, with Israel and Judah. They've been fighting. What if the Philistines would have unleashed on them when this civil war was going on? God sees all that. You call that common grace. God just, I'm going to give you this common grace. You don't know what's going on. You don't know what could happen because you guys are fighting one another. And the Philistines, it was like God just put a guard up or made them just think of something else for seven and a half years. You hear nothing from them until he's united the kingdom. That amazes me. That shows the love and care and the concern of the God we serve. He knows everything about us. And sometimes he just allows your enemy to go to sleep until we are walking in the full walk renewal of the Lord here. He says, now when the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David. And David heard of it and went down to the stronghold. The Philistines also went and deployed themselves in the valley of Raphaim. So David inquired of the Lord, good job, saying, shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hand? I'm going to ask the Lord that the next time, a trial. (laughs) Are you going to deliver me out of this? And just let me know right now. And how long will it take before you deliver me out of this? And the Lord said to David, go up for I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into your hand. Even then, you guys, David had acquired these concubines. David had acquired these wives. And God is showing grace and he's saying, hey, I'm going to deliver them out of your hand, into your hand. So David went to Baal-perazim, and David defeated them there. And he said, the Lord has broken through. He gives credit to the Lord, as he should. The Lord has broken through my enemies before me, like a breakthrough of water. Therefore, he called the name of that place Baal-perazim, and they left their images there, all of their little idols. And David and his men carried them away. Then the Philistines went up once again and deployed themselves in the valley of Raphaim. Therefore, David inquired of the Lord, and he said, you shall not go up. Now, notice, what if he wouldn't have acquired of the Lord and did the same thing? He may have been in a little trouble. That's why it's always important. Just because, and I said this Sunday, we have a victory one way. That's not the method that we should do it all the time. The method to the madness is before we go to battle, before we make any decision that we inquire of the Lord. Don't say, I know what happened the last time. God tells them, you shall not go up, circle around behind them, and come upon them in front of the mulberry trees. And it shall be when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the mulberry trees, sounding like an army there, then you shall advance quickly. For then the Lord will go out before you to strike the camp of the Philistines. And David did so as the Lord commanded him. And he drove back the Philistines from Geba as far as Gezer. 
Guys, we have to understand that once again, the only reason David is on the throne for the Lord is because God knows his heart. David is the most famous man in the scriptures beside Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ never messed up. I heard one uh, preacher say, David would mess up, but he always knew the right way to clean himself up. He didn't do like Saul. He didn't just give up and and just become blatantly disappointed, and I'm going to do what I want to do. David repented, and he always got back in fellowship with the Lord. Though the righteous man falls seven times, he gets back up. Another thing he always did, he always put other people first. He had a heart for people, and he walked in humility. And I've said it before, when we are walking in humility, we can't help but to put others first. We get our eyes off ourselves, and as long as we're putting others first, we're trusting God that he's going to take care of us, and that's what he does because he's, he, he boasts in our confidence in him. So that sets us free. We, we really don't have to worry about ourselves. God is going to take care of us. And then what he does, he has a heart and he has a zeal for the Lord. And the only reason David has this heart and zeal for the Lord, he's always seeking him. When he becomes dry, it's because he stops seeking the Lord. So if we want that holy fervent, we want that holy zeal for the Lord, we must be in his word, we must be in the scriptures, and God will take care of the rest. Please keep uh, Paul Allen and his family in prayer. He lost his dad, I think two days ago, something like that. And uh, I'm sure Paul won't mind. It, it, God is good, and you guys know that. Paul's dad was 90. And Paul's dad didn't come to know the Lord until he was 90. He began, he told Paul and his other son, Mark, I want to start reading my Bible. He, he was a doctor, so he's a, he was a brilliant man. And so he had his questions, he had his doubts, and he began to read the Bible about five months ago. And Paul was telling us to pray. And about three weeks ago to a month, Paul says, he, he, he says he gave his life to the, Mark, to the Lord. Mark says he led him in sinner's prayer. He prayed and gave his life to the Lord. The mercy and the grace of God. God knew that he was coming to his end, and God opened his, the eyes of his understanding. That's the kind of God we serve. So please keep him in prayer. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your goodness, your mercy, your mercy and your grace that we don't deserve. Your mercy and your grace that you lavish upon your children. Father, may that draw us closer to you. Lord, I pray, and I know you will, just undergird and lift Paul and his family up. There's always seasons to grieve. And Lord, you know how long that is. But I pray that they understand, and I know they do that. They know where his dad is, Lord. And so we can rejoice in that. We don't sorrow as those who have no hope. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. So, Lord, and I pray for all those that are sick and hurting, Lord, spiritually or mentally, Lord, that you will come to their aid, come to their rescue, uplift them, give them. I'm asking for a quality of life, Father God. 
Nevertheless, not our will, but your will be done. Lord, protect us and keep us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.